Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, morning. It's um, Thursday morning. I didn't think I had somebody for the Haftarah, but um, to my pleasant surprise, somebody called me, got in touch with me yesterday from all my old uh, days. And uh, that's who's uh, doing it today. Before I proceed, um, let me just say that I had to uh, modify a little bit my uh, YouTube schedule. So the my Monadian Controversy lectures I'm doing now in the uh, three weeks. I have to make it seven talks instead of six. So, uh, you know, if you'll go to my show website or you go to the to the YouTube channel, uh, you'll see what, how the extra one is scheduled because I try to pack everything into one talk, which I recorded last night, which will be up on um, tonight, hopefully, or tomorrow, whatever. Uh, but it was too much information. You know, when you get down to um, the burning of the books and, uh, you know, the... Letters in the Ramban and all the rest, or is it too much material? So I'm breaking up into two points. Uh, I just want to say that my third lecture, which was up on um, the YouTube, had, had like a problem, a glitch in it. It stopped at a minute and ten, but we fixed it. So if anybody wants to go see the whole of the third talk, uh, which was a talk about the, uh, attacking the, the live line first controversies, uh, from the Maimonidean controversy stuff, it's all only on on the video. It's a it's not out in podcast. And um, if you want to see the whole, you know, uninterrupted uh, lecture, then it's up now. As of yesterday, we put it up. That's just by way of general business. Today's um, parsha, I'm talking about the Haftorah, right? When I look at the Haftorah, is being sponsored by a good friend from a long ago, Brian Sachs. Well, long ago, I takes me back to when I was a kid in Forest Park. Most of you guys don't have an idea what I'm talking about. Uh, this is Camelot, a world that once existed. We had a, a very nice neighborhood when I was a little boy. And three doors away were his grandparents, the Michelsons. And uh, and his folks, Lillian and uh, Henry Sachs. I'm really going back to my youth over here, right? Uh, wonderful people. It was a different uh, kind of a Jewish neighborhood. We had three big shoals all around us, or two and a half, I should say. You know, my shoulder was literally was a hop, skipping and jump away. And next door to my house was about to fill. It was a, you know, you didn't have yeshivas and things like that, but you had big synagogues, which were well attended and pretty, uh, you know, packed once upon a time. That whole generation is gone, right? Uh, so I remember Brian's parents very fondly, you know, Lily and Henry. Uh, and so today's very good people, very good people. The old school, the real. Jews of the old school, <laughs> with the old school virtues. So I want to say that today's podcast is being sponsored in memory of uh, Gershon ben Mayer and Fega Shul Bas Rubin Leva Cohen and uh, his folks, uh, Liba Bas Gershon, of course. It's Gershon Michelson, Liba Bas Gershon, the Henrik Bas Motel. Did I get that right? Uh, one minute. Gershon ben Sri, rather. Okay. Not Gershon ben, but Gershon ben Sri. Uh, 
again, all wonderful people. Now no longer here. Um, they're, they're in the forest park upstairs. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Forest park upstairs. And um, all the Neshama should have an Aliyah, and they should be in bliss. Uh, today, so thanks, Brian. And without any further ado, and Brian's been a chip on the old shoulder. He's very active in the pro-Israel. I think you don't see that too. And his daughter is active in the pro-Israel community. You know, now the younger generation, they're going in the opposite direction. They're all going for the BDE or BDS, whatever they call it. So we need the ones that stand up for Judaism and Jewish causes. When they're going, it gets tough to tough get going. All right, without any further ado, we're looking at the Torah today of, uh, as we all know, the three weeks. The second one, which is probably the worst of them. When I say the worst of them, those are the toughest. Okay? And we pick up from last week in the book of Jeremiah, Yermiyahu. And uh, the prophet Yermiyahu, of course, is saying, is blasting everybody um, at God's command. Yermiyahu is a bummer. Uh, he had a terrible life. I don't know if you noticed or not. You probably don't even know. He was told he's not allowed to get married. He should not have children. You know that? I mean, uh, great. You want to be a prophet and you can't live a life. It's in um, chapter ooh, 15. Uh, no. Uh, 16. Yeah. It's a terrible business. Huh? Yeah. In 16. Uh, you can't get married. You're not allowed to have children. I got him telling you. In Jerusalem. Because they're all going to die. A holocaust is coming. The Babylonians are going to wipe everybody out. Right? They'll die horrible deaths from sickness. Oh, boy, oh, boy. What a happy message. Well, today's Haftorah, which we always recite, of course, in the three weeks. I know this week is Rosh Chodesh, but most Minhagim, I think, do the uh, the Peronius ones, right? And uh, the most appropriate to the time, because in the three weeks, is getting ready for Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av reminds us of the Chorban, destruction of Beis Amigdash, destruction of Jerusalem, the loss of Jewish statehood, everything else, the 2,000 years of fall of wandering, and we're not out of it yet. Um, Israel ain't there yet. And, uh, of course, you find over here, God saying, uh, why are you so bad? What did I do bad to you? That's a very Jewish way of talking. What did I do bad to you? Right? Well, you know, I actually uh, did good things to you. Now, you know, you can always spin everything. It's just interesting to me. You know, it's like when two people are arguing. It's very humanistic. Two people arguing, so each one's like this. I did so and so much for you. The other guy said, yeah, but then you did this and this and that for me. <laughs> right? So... It's always how you spin it. In this case, God is spinning it by saying, I took you out of Egypt, I took you through the, through the desert and brought you to Israel. Of course, the Jews, if they want to, I repeat, if they want to, uh, and they probably did, they flipped it and they said, you're the one who took us into Egypt and tortured us for a couple hundred years with the with the slavery, I vote as Perah. You understand? You can always time the glasses half full and glasses half empty. This is how it goes. Uh, and it's in the nature of human beings, especially nowadays, to try to claim victimhood status. Get it? Victimhood status. So the Jews can say, we suffered terribly and you uh, messed us over in Egypt. Or you could flip it and say, no, I took you out of Egypt, could have left you there, and I led you through the desert and brought you to the land of Israel. So God is presenting his side of the story. Okay? His side of the story. 
I took you out, and when I brought you to Israel, then you messed up because you went for idols. You know, and he says the elites stink. This is one of the uh, tasks of a prophet, which is not only to, not only to call out. I mean, this is a real prophet, not only to call out the um, uh, powerless sinners, because that's always easy. This is true of a rabbi as well. The people without power, you can always criticize because they can't do nothing back to you. But to call out the people with power who could hurt you, that's a kill somebody's a real thing. Okay? And in the beginning he says, you know, Racha uh, Kumila, why do you why have you run away from me? You distance yourself from me. And not only that, but you exchange me through Banashalam for false gods. In other words, let's put it this way. It's not like there, this is interesting. Not like there are other gods out there, but you should be on my team, and I'm angry at you because you're choosing to run away with other gods. That would be like idolatry. I'm sorry, excuse me. That would be adultery. <clears throat> right? Sometimes you find that theme in the prophets, including Yermio, which is a, a theme of adultery. In other words, Hashem says, I'm your husband. I took you out of Egypt. I take care of you. I give you Eretz Yisrael. I, br I bring you a land, Erezovus Cholodvash, etc. So basically, it's like a husband saying, look, I support you, I pay the bills, and so on and so forth. And then you run off with the milkman. Then you run off with the with, with, with the mailman. And that's called adultery. And that's called ingratitude, and so on and so forth. I get that. And that is true. If you have a relationship, and you know your spouse, or whoever is responsible, is taking care of you, you should at least not be unfaithful. That's one way of looking at it. But, if you want to, you can be my monadine about it. And that's what you find that very interesting to me in Avtorah today. And then my monadine side would go like this. It's not that you ran off with a milkman or with a, a, a mailman. You ran off with a ghost, with nobody. <laughs> right? Imagine, imagine, um, I mean, this would be a movie. <laughs> this would be a surreal movie. They're getting married. And is a chassan and kala. And under the chuppah, listen closely. And under the chuppah, the kala gets demented. And she sees, she thinks, a ghost or something. No, she's, in her mind, she sees a tall, dark, and handsome guy standing next to her, other than her groom. And this is a movie. And then, instead of looking at the husband, the bride, who has mental problems, turns and looks at the mirage that she sees in front of her and starts saying, oh, I love you, and starts hugging and kissing him and wrapping her arms around him as if he were there. I repeat, as if he were there. That's like a Hitchcock picture, or, or better yet, you know, one of these, uh, you know, uh, Berkson or whatever, you know, the the fancy schmancy uh, uh, movie makers, you know, with the, with the uh, psychology. Such a thing is, um, listen, it's not funny. Such a thing has probably happened. But it is funny in the sense that she is, so to speak, becoming unfaithful to her husband, who's alive here and in the flesh, for an illusion, a mirage, that she imagines is standing there. And as they say, well, she is hugging and kissing him and caressing him and this, that, the other. And there's nobody there. There's nobody there. So it's not simply a vort of adultery. She's crazy. She's crazy. She's running off, she thinks, with somebody that doesn't exist. Okay? So that would be a nebuch, because then people, you know, people would then tell the chassan, they say, you know, it's a good thing you found out at the last minute. 
Your wife's got serious issues over here. I mean, serious issues. Back out of this. Okay? Now, wait a minute. What if they're married, let's say for five years, and have kids? And then she cracks up. Such things can happen. I'm sorry to say, you know. Again, I'm not making fun of it, but it's remarkable. So here you have a, a housewife. Again, I'm just constructing a scenario. And, you know, she gets delusional. And so in her mind, she is uh, running off and having an affair. And, you know, and she could throw herself in, into the wind, you know, and she thinks she's doing it. In reality, she is not doing it because there's nobody there. She's out to lunch. So that would already partake of the bizarre. You understand? That is what the pro that's our half tower today. You know? Look at oh, you think I'm kidding? Look look at the Pusik. Shimudvar Shem Basiako, Khomishwas Basis Row. Oh listen, oh you Jewish people, call my Shem. Ma Matsu Abasekin Biyavakirakhani. What did you find wrong with me that you distanced yourself from me? And you chased after a mirage. Hevel. Hevel means bupkis, garnished. Right? And you became infatuated with a nothing. In other words, the Jews at that time was a world of different idolatrous religions. The Jews dropped the Jewish religion, so they dropped that God, and they went for another God. You know, the gods of Egypt, the gods of Moab, the gods of Bob, whatever you want to say, other idols. But in point of fact... There is no such thing as other idols, meaning they don't represent anything. And so the person that's hugging, caressing, and bowing before a statue, I know what they're doing, but they're crazy. No, you're chasing after something that's not there. So it's like God's basically saying like this. First of all, you're major losers. You're running after something else, and it's not even there. So first of all, you show yourself to be unfaithful. You understand? Ungrateful. Uh, you know, uh, bad character. And second of all, you don't even pick something real. If you ran off with a boyfriend or something like that, and this boyfriend took care of you, and so on and so forth, okay, I mean, it wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be right. But at least I hear it, okay? Imagine somebody, again, these are all scenarios. There's a lady who's married, she's having a fine marriage, and then somebody comes off and and uh, steals her heart, and she just runs off with this guy to Brazil, and they live there, you know, in sin for the next 20 years, and she has her second passion or something like that. So she abandoned her children, she abandoned her husband. From a moral perspective, she did something terrible. But she said, I guess, I, I wanted to get as much out of Omaha's as I could, and I did. Now I'm having a time in my life in Brazil, and I'm just not even thinking about my obligations back home. I get that. But as I said before, so that's bad enough. But here, there's no boyfriend, there's no Brazil, there's no nothing. It's a fantasy. So that's what's, what's driving the, the prophecy today crazy. And you didn't say, what about God who actually does exist uh, and delivers? And he took it to Israel and all the rest of it. And as I said before, Jeremiah shows himself to be the real thing by calling out the elites. Because that already gets you in trouble. We said, Kohanim. The Kohanim, the priests, are supposed to be leading the people in the right road, and they didn't. The Tosei Atoro Yoduni, right? And the rabbis are no good. The Tosei Atoro, Rashi Sanhedrin. So this is funny. 
what he's really basically saying is something which we usually don't like to talk about, which is the rabbis uh, uh, failed in that generation. Either they were no good or corrupt or they didn't guide the people. I mean, I don't know exactly what it means. But it's a rare case. You know, usually in the Bible, we don't have references to Rabbanim, usually uh, to uh, scholars, to, uh, uh, what should I say, rabbis, uh, um, the Torah, things. Here's a rare case. The Kohanim didn't say, where's God, go seek him. And the Talmud Racham don't know me. This is where we get expression, Teufus Yeshiva. If you know the old uh, school, you didn't see he's a Rosh Yeshiva, he's a Teufus Yeshiva. Uh, from this Pasuk. Okay? And, you know, the Redox says, it's very, it's, it's very interesting, that what does it mean, Tosei Atorol Yudoni? Shalom du Torol Yishma Lekaim Ashikosabo, Elom du Belief. So the scholars at that time were thinking Shalom they were thinking of their own prestige. And the whole point of learning the Torah is to do it for God. And if there's not an element of Lishma, then the Torah itself becomes like an idol, a stumbling block, or worse than a kardam lachbarbo, it becomes a tool to advance you in life. The person says, I'm going to become a big scholar, big rabbi, so I'll get a lot of prestige or a lot of money or this, that, and the other. So that's a perversion of what's supposed to be. You're supposed to say, if I'm learning the Torah, I'm doing it because I want to know God better. Maybe I want to set a good example, something like that. But a person says, this is my career, and want to go into a rabbinical career, with the emphasis on the word career, to advance, you know, uh, my economic prospects, all the rest of it, then you have Tobsi, Atorolo So apparently, Jeremiah is telling, and by the way, he's not saying anything on his own. God is telling him what it is, right? So if he's saying that those who are, in, who are the scholars of the Torah don't know me, that's like the Baal Shem Tov talking, you know? Learning, you know how to do. Hashem, you don't know, <laughs> right? Right? You know, learning, you know, who was it? I forget some famous, I think the Kutzker or something like that, he said very famously, he said, I don't like this base manage. Why? It's too much Tyra here. Too much tefillah. So he said, what do you mean? So he said, it's supposed to be, if you learn in the right way, Lishma, your Torah and tefillah goes up to Shemayim. You know? But here, everything's shalol Lishma. Everything's done for unworthy purposes. So the Torah remains down here. So, you know, that's a Hasidic way of making the same point that the prophet Jeremiah just says. We said, Tosei HaTorah Lo It's really powerful because if you ever read um, let me put it this way. We do have scandals. It's, I'm sorry to say this. We do have scandals nowadays. You go on the internet, this big rabbi, that institution, this thing, that thing, they all find out they're lying, they're cheating, they're stealing, they're this, that, and the other. Whoever it is, wait a minute. But the person looks very religious. And it could be, sometimes, some of these perpetrators do know how to learn and could give a shear and all the rest of it. Yes, they do. So the Torah, they know. Yidouni, but Hashem, they don't know. <laughs> right? That's it, though. And so, if you have a failure, even on um, at that level, then, uh, obviously, there was no leadership. Right? So, uh, the Kalah has to depend, at least in Talmud, at least to point in the right direction. And they didn't do that. They didn't point in the right direction. Uh, the kings are no good. So, he went through the four elites. I consider it a very interesting verse. He went through um, the Kohanim, 
the Tosei Torah, the Rowan, the shepherds, which is the kings, and the prophets. Uh, that's the elites. So what we say today, you say you have your rabbis, your Shashivas, I don't know, the rich people, this one, that one, intellectuals, after all bankrupt, uh, morally, intellectually, we're in Gehakta Tzars. Right? Therefore, I'm going to quarrel you out. Notice I'm going to challenge you. And then he says, the famous line, often repeated, which is, the non-Jews treat me better than you do. I don't know why I'm wasting my time with you. Right? Go and treat me better than you do. Other groups don't change their gods. At least they have the loyalty to their ancestral traditions. Now, it may be that it's all Hevel. So, if this god worships Zeus and that one worships Thor, both of them are baloney. Right? There is no such thing really as Zeus. Not really. And there is no such thing really as Thor. Not really. But God says, i got to give him credit at least. The one who's raised in that religion sticks to that religion. So, you know, uh, this is the idea of the righteous Gentile. You know, the, the, the person adheres, as long as they live a moral life, the fact that they adhere to a particular religious uh, belief or cult, well, that's what they're raised in. A Japanese was raised in Japan. A Vietnamese was raised in Vietnam. I don't blame them. That's what, you know, at least they do that. And and, and that's what the prophet is saying. Okay? He says... They don't switch their gods. And my pe- and not only that, as I said before, my people are so stupid, they switch a real god for a fake. <laughs> so it's like, I'm giving you real dollars and you get back counterfeit. Right? So that's a sign of idiot. <laughs> right? I'm giving you real bucks and you're getting back confederate money. Uh, <laughs> and that's what my people do. So, let me say this. This is very blunt criticism. This is why Jeremiah has to be warm, uh, told by God, you'll be hated, you can't get married, you have to say unpopular things. Believe you me, once you criticize the Rabbanim, the Rosh Hashivas, the Tosei Torah, it's not only the non-frum that'll be against you, the frum will be against you. And so we have a terrible situation, socially, which you have this guy, Jeremiah, here we and he actually is a Novi, because this is in the Torah, right? So it turns out, he basically is going around with the unenviable job of saying, everybody's wrong, I'm the only one that's right, and I see the way out, and nobody listens to me, you're all wrong. The from, the not from, the establishment, the temple, the whole guns of nine yards, and nobody wants to listen to me, because, well, but I happen to be right. Now, the only way we know he's right is because events confirmed what he said. He said, you keep this up, you're going to get wiped out by the Babylonians, this whole magnificent base on Migdash is going to fall apart. The Jerusalem will be flattened. The country will be killed. And so on and so forth. Well, events turn that way. So you and I are told by our tradition to read this unpleasant business at least once a year in the three weeks before Tisha B'Av so that we don't simply go through the motions of practicing the customs of the three weeks. No haircuts, no flashes, no this, that, and the other. Uh, that's okay, but those are just What's the right word? You know, customs, extra shtick. The heart of what the three weeks is what we're reading over here because if we apply this to our time in a blunt and honest way, uh, we might not be, uh, we might not want to look at the picture that we're, you know, it might not be a pleasant picture. What's the right, how do they say it? It's not nice necessarily to look in the mirror. Okay? Uh, Yermio is saying, I demand that you look in the mirror. I demand you look in the mirror. Right? And then, and now you compare yourself to other groups, 
You know, see, it's even there. And therefore, Shomu Shamayim Mazos Mishar Chomonu Hashem. The heavens are shocked. It's a Shomu Shamayim, there's like a devastation in the heavens. Now, I'd like, um, maybe it's because I'm in the middle of my Maimonidean controversies. It's such a wonderful Pusik. It's a terrible Pusik. It's a wonderful Pusik, right? Uh, this is verse 12. Okay? So, um, let me see. How would they translate in English? Shomushamayim, be horrified at this, O heavens. Be shocked and appalled. Uh, okay. Lushan Shmama. Rashi says Lushan Timahon. Hold on for a second. What does it mean, Shomushamayim, those? Right? Uh, what does it mean, the heavens? So you can say it's rhetorical. I'm not, I'm not being, I'm serious. It's a matter of rhetoric. And you say, you know, the very ends of the earth are shocked at the ingratitude and the bad behavior of the Jewish people. Or you could say Shemayim refers to the Ruchnius, to the, meta, to the metaphysics, not to the sky up there. God doesn't live at the sky above us. You climb up on the jack and the beanstalk. So what does it mean, Shomu Shemayim? Uh, in, in, in the Ruchnius, let me put it this way. I would like to translate it from Lusha. Your Your metaphysical, uh, spiritual universe is a wreck. It's a shmama. It's a wasteland. And that's pretty sad. There's so many Jews today, always have been, but in particular today, um, how should I put it? There are people that are not observant, but are good Jews. Uh, not everybody's a Shomer Shabbat. They're good Jews. But there are people out there, I know them and you know them, maybe you don't know them. They're so materialistic and they're so wrapped up in just, you know, the the, 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 the materialism. Shomu Shamayib. The, the, there is no, there's nothing spiritual there. You understand? There's nothing spiritual there. This is why that kind of person doesn't care whether their kids or grandchildren are Jewish. There's nothing there. It's become so rotten. Uh, because we focus in this country, we can't help it, and trying to make a living. And in American society, for better or worse, they always get you know judge you by how much money you have. It's wrong, but that's how it goes. Your value as a person, your success in life is a, is a question of how much money. So the result is shoma shamayim. You end up that the shamayim part of you is a shmama, is a wasteland. Uh, I think because I can only tell you my opinion, as I always say. I think that's what the prophet means. The Mepharshim don't go exactly that way. But as I see it, the, the, this is this is his devastating um, uh, accusation. And indeed, if that's true, then basically repentance is not possible. Now, it's always theoretically possible, but once a person is thinking that way, nothing's going to get to them. The biggest Musashmuz, the greatest Jeremiah, as they call it, the, uh, you know, the strongest their criticism, they ain't changing. There's nothing there. Their 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 spiritual side is a wasteland. Uh, they're totally sold into the materialism, and that, by the way, is what modern society throws at you. It's all about making money. The whole internet is a question of trying to get you spend money here to get money money there. I understand that. I understand the money makes the world run. I get that. But at the end of the day, if if money is what it's all about, if not just a means to an end. Right, but it was all about. You end up like Shlomo Melch. The guy was loaded, but unhappy. In the end, you have a, a, a Shlomo. So this is like, the, in my opinion, the, the the key element in all this. 
And then he explains everything else. Because he says, Shtayim Rosh Osami, my people did two bad things. First of all, they dumped me. And then they went for, for bad wells. No, they went for, as I said before, uh, idols, which, which don't exist. And so you end up worshipping or spending your life chasing after certain things that have no ultimate reality. Okay? No ultimate reality. Or better yet, or worse yet, you think that the ultimate reality is zero. <laughs> right? The person that's completely materialistic says the only reality is the materialistic reality. Uh, the other realities are not so real. The other realities, you know, uh, are whatever I make them because uh, they're entirely constructed and they're completely subjected. Uh, a Jew is supposed to feel that there's an objective, actual reality out there. And you try to get, get, get penetrate and, and access it. So these are powerful uh, messages were written 3,000 years ago, 2,500 years ago, in the time of Yirmiyahu, and he was talking about the Babylonians and the other threats over there, and he goes on to talk about Egypt, uh, which is, uh, you know, which which was seductive in those days. But uh, I don't want to go into that. I think the main point for us is uh, the, raising the question, in my mind, of the materialism that I just spoke about, because otherwise you, you end up with no reality. You end up with only with the materialistic reality. And uh, if that's the case, then the Torah is wrong, right? If everything is materialistic, then there's no room for Yiddishkeit. Uh, uh, but the person will never be able to see it. And the reason I say this is because he, if you read the book of Yermio, even after the Korban happens, and after they kill Gedalia and all the rest of it, the people want to run away to they, they still they still don't get it. You understand? They still do not get it. And they feel more comfortable in Egypt than they do living in Israel, uh, which is very sad. So there's nothing... Uh, uh, optimistic in the book of Jeremiah because he says, you know, somebody has to tell it the way it is and you have to hear the message of a cut the bull, you know, somebody has to hear the, the, the straight way. Uh, the question is, you know, will it penetrate in the minds of people? If the Jews, if it does do so, then the Jews have a chance of surviving. If it doesn't do so, they don't have a chance of surviving. Today, when we worship the golden calf, as I always say, you know, it's all about gold. So those people are not surviving. You look around, it's right and left, they're not surviving. But on the other hand, maybe somebody will read this and be stirred. And if they are stirred, and make them rethink a little bit, then they'll start raising the questions that this Haftorah raises, which is, is there a objective reality outside of just the materialistic one? The money, money, money? Uh, and if there is, how do I get to it? How do I access it? Anyway, that's what I think is the heart of this uh, harsh Haftar, which we read precisely because we're supposed to put us in the, in the frame of mind to understand what Tisha B'Av is all about. And with that, I bid you a good Shabbos. Once again, I want to thank uh, Brian Sachs and uh, his family. Many good memories, as we say. And with that, I wish everybody a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.